something. I want to begin with a question. After listening to a song like that, I, I love that song, Your Love Changes Everything. It's, it's on one of my playlists that I listen to when I'm running, and I, I think about that song a lot, and I think about those words, Your Love Changes Everything. I, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? That's a question I want you to think about this morning. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Have you experienced Jesus' love for you in your life? Do you know just how much Jesus loves you? When I was a kid, my mom and dad taught me a song. It's one of the first songs I remember singing. I remember we used to sing it in church all the time, especially at vacation Bible school and even in my Sunday school classes. It's a, it's a song that may seem very simple and very childlike, but it is absolutely true. It is absolutely powerful. And it is absolutely as good today as an adult as it was when I was a kid. Uh, this was a song that was originally a poem. It was written by a woman named Anna Bartlett Warner. And it appeared in uh, 1860. A couple of years later in 1862, William Bradbury added music to this poem. And as a matter of fact, it was added to the old Baptist hymnal back in 1975. That song, Jesus Loves Me. You remember that song? Listen to those words. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. What an awesome, awesome song, right? Think about that song for just a moment and then go back to the question that I asked you. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? I believe today when we look at Mark chapter 6, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 6, where we're going to see a passage of Scripture that not only says Jesus loves us, but a passage of Scripture that shows us that Jesus loves us. You see, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes several very powerful I am statements. If you were a part of our Wednesday nights Our connected family, we just talked about this, all of those I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes on and says in verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. That question I ask you, do you know how much Jesus loves you? I'm going to tell you something. If you know Jesus, then you know the Father. And if you know Jesus and you know the Father, then you know how much Jesus loves you. He laid down his life for you. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. You know what that means? That means he gives us what we need, when we need it, and where we need it. And I believe an awesome example of our good shepherd who is Jesus Christ is found right here in Mark chapter 6. I believe in Mark chapter 6 we see one of the most incredible miracles that Jesus ever performed on this earth. As a matter of fact, this miracle is one of the only miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels. 
You see, Jesus, the good shepherd, he shows us that he cares for us. He cares for his disciples. He cares for the crowds. And I believe this is the one miracle that that we will look at today and see just how much Jesus loves us. Nothing is a coincidence with Jesus. Let me say that again. You've heard me say it before. Nothing is a coincidence with Jesus. Everything he says and everything he does is intentional. It has purpose and it has value. Not a word Jesus spoke was wasted. Not a step Jesus made on this earth was wasted. Not a single act with his hands and his feet with his life was wasted. It was all intentional. And I'm going to tell you, I can't get over the fact that Jesus is my good shepherd. I can't get over the fact that Jesus loves me. Let's look at Mark chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000. Mark chapter 6 beginning in verse 30. And I'm going to read these first three verses, 30 through 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, I love this passage of Scripture because if you'll remember, last week we looked at a passage of Scripture right there in the middle of Mark uh, where we dealt with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod and, um, you know, the disciples, even John's disciples couldn't understand. Jesus' disciples, they couldn't understand. But before that passage of Scripture, at the beginning of Mark chapter 6, if you'll remember, Jesus sent his disciples out. He sent them out together. He sent them out in pairs. And he told them to, to go and preach and teach. He told them to go and heal and to drive out demons. And so now we come back to this passage, right? So we've had this interlude, if you will, uh, with John the Baptist and Herod. And now the disciples have returned to Jesus. After all the teaching, after all the preaching, after all the healing and casting out demons, they come back to Jesus. And here's what we find out about Jesus. Jesus knew the needs of his disciples. He knew their needs and he provided for them. You see, as the good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. He, he protects his sheep. He provides for his sheep. He loves his sheep. And his disciples were his sheep. Jesus saw their need to share ministry news with them. Listen, Jesus already knew what they had done. They didn't have to say a word. He knew what they had done. He knew the, the kingdom impact they made. But he cared enough for them. And he valued them and loved them enough to listen to them talk. He just listened to them. Don't you know how excited they were that they went out and preached the gospel and saw lives changed, that they went out and stood in the authority and the power of God and cast out demons and healed people? They were so excited about the opportunities that God gave them in kingdom ministry and they just wanted to share with Jesus and he, he allowed them to do that. He gave them that opportunity. You see, he provided that opportunity for them. I believe they were just so excited to, to serve in ministry, not only with Jesus, but for Jesus. And Jesus allowed them to do that. And as they were talking, Jesus saw them and he recognized something else, right? 
he recognized that these boys were tired. They, they were physically tired. They were exhausted. As a matter of fact, they had gone and done so much and they were continuing to serve. Jesus, he knew that they had not eaten. And so Jesus, he saw their need for rest. He, he saw their need for reset, if you would. would. And, and so he said, I want to provide you rest. I want to provide you food. They needed time with Jesus and he was going to give them that. Why? Because he was their good shepherd. He loved them. And his love is about provision. His love is about protection. I don't know exactly how much time they got to eat because we're going to see just how quickly this story progresses. I don't know how much time they had to eat. I don't know how much time they had to sit in the boat. I don't know the exact distance from when they got in the boat to where they were going. I don't know exactly how much time they had with Jesus. But I'll tell you what I do know. Whatever Jesus provided for them was enough. Do you hear me? Whatever Jesus provided for them, it was enough. It was enough for the next opportunity. The next opportunity to serve. The next opportunity to learn. The next opportunity to grow. Again, the the Bible really for me is not real clear here on how much time it was, but I really don't care because if they were with Jesus, they had all they needed. Rest, reset, and go. You see, I believe they had every opportunity when they were with Jesus. So let's look at what happens, beginning in verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So the people saw what was going on, knew what was going on, and they raced to the spot (laughs) where they believed Jesus and the disciples were going, and the Bible says they got there before they did. So in my mind, I'm going, they may not have had a lot of time to eat, a lot of time to relax, to sit down, a lot of time to be with Jesus. But again, if they were with Jesus, they got exactly what they needed, when they needed, and where they needed. So verse 34 says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Don't miss that. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Don't tell me Jesus don't have a good sense of humor. Don't don't tell me Jesus doesn't use his emotion just like we use our emotion. They come to him, it's dark outside, it's getting late. Why don't you send them off and let them go get get themselves something? Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Look at their response. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds 
and fifties. Take the five loaves and the two fish, or taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, I don't know about you, but just like I remember singing that song, Jesus Loves Me, when I was a kid growing up in church, I remember this story in my Sunday school classes. Do you remember your teachers? They'd give you those color pages to color and it would be Jesus holding that bread and holding that fish and it would be people sitting in all these groups. And I I just remember this story as a kid growing up and I just remember the miracle, right? Jesus took what they had, blessed it, and provided. But, But there's so much to this miracle that I believe we need to look at, that we need to understand, and we need to see it. We need to see it both for the disciples and for the crowd. And so Jesus, just like he knew the needs of the disciples and provided, Jesus knew the needs of this crowd and he provided. Why? Because he is our good shepherd. He loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. He protects us. I believe there are two dynamic situations taking place in this passage of Scripture, one with the crowd and one with the disciples. As far as the crowd goes, I want you to see our good shepherd because verse 34 tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. Do you see that? In verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them. And I'm going to tell you something. This was not just a mental thought. Oh, we, I feel sorry for them. No, I'm going to tell you something. The Greek word that is used here for the word compassion, it is the root word viscera. And the word viscera in the Greek language is where we get our English word for stomach. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So what that tells me is, is that when Jesus saw this crowd and had compassion on them, it wasn't just a mental thought, it was a physical feeling as well. Jesus saw them and he was concerned about them, concerned for them. And here's why. It wasn't because they were hungry for physical food. It was because they were starving for spiritual food. That's why. Look at what it says. He had deep compassion for them because when he saw them, they were what? Like sheep without a shepherd. So what did Jesus do? What was the first miracle? In my opinion, there's more than one miracle taking place here. Oh, we think about the fish and the bread, but there's so much more than that. You see, Jesus, before he ever touched the bread and touched the fish, Jesus taught them. There's there's miracle number one. He taught them, and in teaching them, he was meeting their greatest need, which was spiritual. He met their spiritual need. What do you mean, Brother Jeff, their spiritual need? I believe when Jesus saw this crowd, he he saw sinners who needed a Savior. That's what I believe he saw. These were sheep without a shepherd. That means they had never experienced 
The good shepherd's love. The good shepherd's care. The good shepherd's provision. And so I believe when Jesus saw them, the reason he thought mentally and felt it physically was because he saw their condition spiritually. And so Jesus, the Bible says he taught them many things. Well, I wish we could go into greater detail there. I wish the Bible would say, here's what he taught them. Point one, point two, point three, point four. But here's what I believe. If you go back and you look at what Jesus has been teaching and preaching all up to this point, do you know what it is? Repent and believe. That's what he's been preaching from the very beginning. Repent and believe. What does that mean? That means that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And in order to embrace the Savior, they had to repent of their sin. I believe Jesus preached a repentance of sin. I believe Jesus preached a belief in the Messiah, God's chosen one, God's son sent to them. To live for them, die for them, and to raise up out of the grave for them. The message we've heard Jesus preach over and over again in the book of Mark is repent and believe. So miracle number one, Jesus fed them spiritually. Miracle number two, we see it and it blows our minds, right? Jesus fed them meeting their physical need. As the day went on and the sun went down... Right, uh, I believe this, this dynamic, this miracle, it brings the disciples and the crowd together. I don't get it. I don't understand. I, I, I don't get how you can take five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. But most theologians will tell you that, that the average family in that day was around four. So if you start doing the math... There could have very likely been over 20,000 people there that day. Five loaves of bread and two little fish. The disciples, think about this from the disciples' standpoint. Because remember what I told you. I believe there's two things going on here. There's something going on with the disciples and there's something going on with the crowd. And you know what our good shepherd does? He meets both of their needs. (laughs) I love it. At the same time. See, I believe the disciples, they returned from seeing the power of God move. Think about that. They came back excited, telling Jesus about how they preached the gospel, about how they healed people, about how they cast out demons. And and isn't it funny? It really is funny in my opinion because it's a lot like us today. Isn't it funny that we can see God move with power in one moment and then turn around and get to the next moment and go, what are we going to do? Oh, no. And and I say it's funny, it's really sad. It's really sad. Because the disciples had experienced the power of God, the authority of God, the miracles of God, and now they look out at the crowd late in the day, and what is their response? Hey, Jesus, you better send them people home, because they're getting hungry. And they need to go out and buy their own selves something to eat. And I love Jesus' response, because Jesus said, boys, who's in charge? That's my opinion. Boys, who's in charge? I am. You don't tell me what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Because here's what he said. You give them something to eat. Listen to me. He wasn't asking them. You better check it. That, That wasn't a question. That was a command. He said, you give them something to eat. 
In other words, you're on my terms. You're on my ground. You are serving in my kingdom. You give them something to eat. The disciples knowing in their hearts what God has done and what God still can do, they make the mistake of looking out with their eyes. Instead of continuing to look with their heart, they they take a pause and they look with their eyes and they shut down the heart. Because here's what they say. That would take more than a half a year's wages. You know how much that money that was? That was somewhere between 175 to 200 denarii. Some theologians said that, that you would make uh, anywhere between a denarii or two denarii a day. And so that's kind of the balance. And, and so this was an amount of money that obviously they did not have. But do you think Jesus didn't know that? Jesus knew what they had and Jesus knew what they didn't have. What Jesus wanted was he wanted his disciples to open the eyes of their hearts a whole lot wider than the eyes in their head. That's what he wanted. Jesus wanted them to know him personally and intimately. Why do you think he wanted them in the boat to go be alone with him? Because he wanted them to know him intimately and personally. Because in knowing Him, they could know themselves. And in knowing Him, they could know the love of God, and not just the love of God, but the powerful love of God. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted to show them something. He he wanted them to be a part of something so much more than themselves. And so Jesus, He invites them in, and He says, what do you have? Go see what you have. And they came back and said, five loaves and two fish. Now, I'm going to tell you something real quick because we're going we're to come back to this. There's a lot of numbers popping up in this passage, right? Twelve disciples, five fish, or five breads, you know, two fish, groups of 150s, 5,000 men. Don't, don't miss those numbers because those are not coincidences. They are intentional. At times we've heard this statement. Maybe we've even made this statement. Oh, the Lord will not ask me to do more than I am capable of in this life. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever said that before? Oh, the Lord will will never ask me to do something more than I can do. So what are you going to do with this passage of Scripture? I'm just asking a question, right? Because I had to ask myself that question. You want to know why? Because I've been guilty of saying, Oh, the Lord will never ask me to do more than what I'm capable of doing. (laughs) I better rethink that. Because what are we going to do with this passage of Scripture if that's what we truly believe? See, I believe the Lord might not ask you to do more than you are capable of doing, but He will ask you to be a part of something that is way more capable than you. I I believe that. Jesus didn't tell these disciples, hey, sit down, boys, and watch what I can do. That's not what we see. It says Jesus directed them. Do you see that? Look at it in the passage. Jesus directed them. What does that mean? That means the disciples would be actively involved in one of the greatest miracles that has ever happened on this earth. Actively involved. They would not be spectators sitting down watching. They would be participants. The disciples, after Jesus directed them, they split the people up into groups of hundreds 
and 50s, they did exactly what Jesus told them to do. See, I believe what Jesus was doing with his disciples simultaneously while he was taking care of the crowd, I believe Jesus was inviting his disciples to obey him. I believe he was inviting his disciples to trust him. And I believe he was inviting his disciples to be a part of this miracle. Because I'm going to tell you something. The miracle was going to take place with or without the disciples. You want to know why? Let's go back to the beginning. Because Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion. He was going to do what he was going to do with or without the disciples. But this is our God, right? Our good shepherd who loves us and cares for us and provides for us and protects us. He wanted his disciples to be a part of it. Because it was an opportunity for them to trust him more. To know him more. Now, not only does Jesus feed the crowd, look at this, not only does he feed the crowd through the disciples' obedience, their trust and their service, but Jesus feeds them in such a way, and I love this, the Bible says they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Have you ever been at the table and, and you just took one more bite and you sat back in your chair and you were like, oh, I can't move. Right? Have, you ever, have you ever eaten a meal and you thought, if you just turn the light out, I'll just go to sleep now? Right? Have you ever eaten a meal and you just felt so full and so satisfied that nothing else mattered? Like you didn't even care where your ne- next breath was coming from? That, that's where they were this day. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe it was so much more than physical satisfaction. I believe it was life satisfaction. I believe it was spirit satisfaction. You want to know why? Because when Jesus provided for them, disciples and crowd, it was enough. I want you to think about that word for just a minute, enough. The other day I was filling up my my lawnmower with gas and uh, I, I got distracted by the cats. Because Marty's always like, hey, before you do the lawnmower, watch the cats. And so I tumped the the, the gas can over, and I'm filling up. And and look, I knew my lawnmower needed a lot of gas, or at least I thought it needed a lot more than it did. And so the cats were playing, and I'm looking at the cats, and I'm trying to, you know, keep the cats from coming over to the lawnmower because I'm fixing to crank this thing, and I don't want to do anything that would make Marty, you know, kick me out. And that could and would happen, by the way, because she loves her animals. Anyway, um... So I'm filling it up, and I'm, I'm trying to push this little cat away, and then another cat's coming, and before I know it, you know, well, you know what happened, right? Yeah, the lawnmower had enough. Yeah, the gas was like, and I was mad at myself. I'm like, gas is $4.90 a gallon, and I'm pouring it on the ground. Anyway, so I stopped and pulled back, and I'm just going to tell you, like, when I put the lid down, like, just try to put the lid down, more gas came out. Like, it was to the top. It was enough. I'm going to tell you something. When you have Jesus, you have enough. And when I say enough, I'm talking about to the full. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 10? He said the enemy is coming, and the enemy's goal is to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that you may have what? Life and have it what? To the full. Right? In other words, Jesus is saying I am enough. 
I satisfy. His message was enough then. And I'm going to tell you something. This message is enough today. His miracles were enough then. And I'm going to tell you something. His miracles are enough today. Let me tell you why Jesus has enough. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Now I told you, we see a lot of numbers pop up in this passage of Scripture. And I always love, I always love when I'm reading, especially a passage of Scripture in the New Testament, I love when, when the Spirit reminds me of passages in the Old Testament. I love to see the Bible come together. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible is one book about one man, and his name is Jesus. Did you hear me? The Bible is one book about one man, and his name is Jesus. You see, God reveals himself to us through his word, and his word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus. So whether you're reading Genesis or, or the Proverbs <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, Jeremiah or Mark or 1 Corinthians or Revelation, I'm going to tell you something. It's Jesus. So watch this. I told you that this miracle is told in all four Gospels. It's one of the only miracles other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is recorded the same way in all four Gospels. So in the book of John, in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And what I find incredible is that in John chapter 6, we also hear Jesus say this. John chapter 6, verse 29, the work of God, listen to this, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. What? Listen again. Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What's Jesus' message? that we've been looking at in the book of Mark over and over again, repent of sin and believe in me. Believe in the Messiah. That's, that's the work of God for you and me, to believe. He goes on, listen to this, verses 32 through 35. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow. God's Word, New Testament and Old Testament coming together. You see, in the miraculous feeding of 5,000, we see five loaves of bread. Do you know what that represents? It represents the five books of Moses. We see two fish. Do you know what those two fish represent? They represent the stone tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain to give to the people. We see 12 basketfuls, right, at the end. How much did they take up? 12 basketfuls. 
We could very easily just stop right there and say, well, there were 12 disciples, but I'm going to go a step further. There were also 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, 12 tribes of Israel. We see 5,000 men. Did you know what that represented? That represented the entire community of the Israelites bound under Torah, the law of Moses. I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe these numbers were just random. I believe they were intentional. I believe this was a direct reference to what God did to and through Moses for the Israelites. Moses was called God's deliverer. What did Moses deliver the people from? He delivered them from bondage, right? They were in bondage where? In Egypt, okay? So Moses delivered them from bondage, physical bondage, let me remind you, right? Physical bondage. Led them out into the wilderness. When they got in the wilderness, they looked around, they started complaining because that's what, you know, good Baptists do. And so, oh, that's right, they're Israelites, I take that back. Anyway, so they started complaining. They even complained so badly that they said, you know what? We were better off in Egypt. We'll just go back there, right? And so what did God do for them through Moses? He fed them manna from heaven. Moses was God's deliverer, delivering the people from Egypt, leading them back to the promised land. But this was a physical deliverance. What does Jesus say in John chapter 6? Not only does he say, I am the good shepherd in John 10. In John 6, he says, I am the what? Bread of life. And when you eat this bread and you drink this drink, you will never hunger and thirst again. You want to know why? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is the bread of life who feeds more than physically. He feeds spiritually. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why? Because he loves us. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? He loves you so much that even though he lived a perfect life and never sinned, he bore your sin and my sin. He became your sin and my sin. Jesus loves you so much that he went to a cross and died a humiliating painful, disturbing death. Not one that he deserved, but one that you and I deserve because of our sin. Jesus took on the complete, full wrath of God because he loves you. Because he loves me. There is no other shepherd other than the shepherd who is the good shepherd who is Jesus. There is no other way To be right with God. There is no other bread to consume. Other than the bread that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is enough. He's the good shepherd. Miracles happen every day. Whether you choose to see them or not. Whether you choose to embrace them or not. I'm going to tell you, the power that Jesus had then is the power that Jesus has today. The power that was in Jesus Christ physically is also the same power that was in the disciples physically. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, and it's that same power today. What did Jesus say the work of God is in John chapter 6? 
The work of God is this, to what? Believe. To believe in the one he has sent. So I want to ask you two questions as we close. Have you repented of your sin? Because that's the first point in Jesus' two-point message. Repent. Repent of what? Repent of your sin. Don't point fingers and blame somebody else. Don't cast it off on somebody else. It's just you and God. Repent of your sin. That means to turn away from your sin and self and turn to God. And in doing that, the next question is, do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son? Because here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you believe in love that changes everything. Thank you for that song, Brother Andy. To believe in Jesus Christ is to believe in God's love that changes everything. Are there going to be times when you're wore out? Mark chapter 6 says there will be. Are there going to be times when you've gone as far as you possibly can go? Mark chapter 6 says there's going to be those kind of times. Are there going to be times when you are spiritually dry? Going to be those kind of times. Are there going to be times when you are physically, like, hungry? Yeah, there's going to be those kind of times. I'm going to tell you something. When you have Jesus, you have enough. Because he will meet all of your needs. When you need it. And where you need it. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not your mama's Savior, not your daddy's Savior, not your pastor's Savior, not your church's Savior. Do you believe in the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus Christ who is God's love manifested? It's the love that will change everything. Everything in your life. Most importantly, your eternity. I pray you do. I pray you do.